chapter 1, we told you that we wanted to spend some time looking at this epistle in detail. Last week we kind of did the introduction and worked on a lesson entitled, No Other Gospel. This evening, we're going to look at the grace of Christ, which essentially will be a continuation to that. All righty, we're going to make sure we turn our cell phones. Here we are. Okay, Galatians chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading with verse 6, and I'll read down to verse number 10. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ, which unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so I say now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye receive, let him be a curse for do I now persuade men or God or do I seek to please men for if I yet please men I should not be the servant of Christ. This is Galatians 1 and once again in verse 6 he talks about his astonishment that they have departed from the one that called them. So let's have a word of prayer then we'll get right into this. Father, again, it is a privilege to be able to break the bread of life. Now, for a few moments, as we look at the word of God, we pray that you would help me to speak clearly. Also, give each individual ears to hear. Make our hearts good ground, fertile ground for the word of the Lord to be sown into it so that we will be able to reap a wonderful harvest of all that you want us to have out of these scriptures in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. We told you that Galatia is located in what today is modern day Turkey. And then we explained to you that Paul's missionary journeys into that region led to his establishment of numerous churches. Now, obviously, there has been some trouble, and that's why he has had to take the time to write this particular letter. To reiterate, verse 6 talks about the move from the grace of Christ to another gospel. So I think we need to identify the grace of Christ and to explain what is the true gospel in order to go and look at some of these other verses. Well, in verse number 1, the last sentence speaks of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In verse number four, the first sentence speaks of his sacrifice for our sins, which occurred on the cross. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 that the gospel I've received and that I now preach to you. He talks about how he received it from God, but he goes on to share how the gospel essentially is the knowledge that Christ died on the cross and was raised from the dead. And we went out of our way to make sure that you understood that if a person denies Jesus' literal and bodily resurrection from the dead, according to the Apostle Paul, 
that individual is yet in their sins, regardless of how sincere they are, how nice they are. If they deny that one cornerstone of the faith, they're yet on the outside of the kingdom of God. But then when we we, we deal with another gospel, and this is where we we have to pick up, we're, we're referencing a gospel that pretends to be true. It's not true, but it pretends to be true. It seems to be true. So what is the true gospel? We've told you over and over again that Christ was born of a virgin. How do we know that's the gospel? The angel announced it at Jesus' birth, appeared to shepherds and said, I have good news for you. That's the gospel. The fact that Jesus lived in this world without sin. He never had a blemish. He never did anything wrong. That's part of the gospel because he was an unblemished lamb. The fact that he hung on the cross and died for our sins was genuinely buried and then again raised from the dead. All of that has to do with the gospel. And we certainly don't want to forget the ascension of the Lord, because without the ascension, then the Lord can't be the judge later on. Now we have to we have to emphasize that because there are there are numerous teachings today that attack those basic beliefs. And you can look into a lot of modern commentaries and you can look into the notes of a lot of study Bibles and sometimes they will attack the virgin birth. So if somebody says the virgin birth isn't true, then you stick with what the Bible says. If someone says to you, Jesus didn't live in this world without sin, that it's impossible for someone to do that, stick with what the Bible says. If someone comes along and says that his death on the cross was not for other people's sins, that no one can die for somebody else's iniquities or transgressions, stick with what the Bible says. If someone says to you there was no resurrection from the dead, that once people die, they cease to be, they cease to exist. Let God be true and every man a liar. And the person that says to you that that the Lord did not ascend to heaven. You can you can you can uh, just basically ignore that also. So when we come then to verse verse seven, he says there are some that trouble you. Now, what is this meaning? This means that there are people that have come into the churches of Galatia and they have brought teachings with them that are disturbing the hearts of the people. What kind of teachings are these? You can back up a few books and go to the book of Acts chapter 15. A few books, chapter uh, chapter 15 of the book of Acts. You, you may find this very interesting. Acts chapter 15. Now, as you're going there, I'm going to give you some background. Paul and, and Barnabas have been preaching around the Mediterranean area. Multitudes have become Christian. A lot of people have been healed. People have had visions. Supernatural dreams have occurred. The presence of God has been real. And the anointing of God has been helping men and women set the captives free from sin, from infirmity, and a lot of things. So at the end of chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas return to the, their home church to give a report. They want everybody to know what's going on. Just like when I travel overseas, then I come back and tell you how the meetings went, how things occurred overseas. And when I go to different churches that support our overseas 
uh, operations, then I give them a report of what's going on. People want to hear about what God is doing. This way, they feel a part of what you're doing. They feel like they're sharing in what's going on, and they'll continue to want to support because you know you're having fruit from what you're doing. So in chapter 15, verse 1, Verse, it says, certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you can't be saved. Now, this was not the message of Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas taught an entirely different doctrine based upon the grace of Christ. The covenant of grace. What does that mean? That means that any boy, girl, man or woman that trusts. In the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, that individual becomes justified by the Lord. So Romans speaks about us being justified by faith, justified by grace and justified by the blood of Jesus. Once a person believes in the Lord, their life is changed. God reaches in there, takes a cold, stony heart, squeezes it, regenerates them. They become born again. They receive new attitudes and dispositions inwardly. Their thinking changes. Their desires change because they've now become Christians. They didn't earn it. Good works didn't produce it. But the grace of God is what provided all of this. So what is grace? It's the acronym for that phrase, God's riches at Christ's expense. So God has enriched us because of the death of his son. God's riches at Christ's expense. If we've experienced the grace of God like that, and we truly have become wonderful Christians, if someone comes along and then says you now have to be circumcised, in order to be a Christian or to be saved from your sins, then, of course, you think that's odd. And that's what happened in this church here in Acts chapter 15. The people who came from Judea were trying to maintain Jewish principles and Jewish laws while at the same time mixing and mingling it with the grace of Christ. Now, you see this very often today. There are people who say they're Christian but they still want you to keep the Old Testament laws. I've met people who they don't want you to say Jesus. They want you to use the Hebrew name Yeshua. There are people who do not want their children to have any kind of education that has to do with a secular world or something like that. But they want them to get strictly a Hebrew based education. I've seen that. And I've met People who try to keep these laws to the point that the women, they still cover their hair when they go into different places. Sometimes they try to keep the food laws, the dietary laws. Now, let's remember, Paul said all meat is to be received if, if it is received with thanksgiving. So pork doesn't bother me if it bothers you. In fact, all the baby back ribs that you don't want, you can just bring right to my house and I will I will eat them and my conscience won't bother me at all. So once you come out of out of the world and then you come into the kingdom of God, there's no sense in trying to mix the old religion and the old beliefs with the grace of Christ and expect that it's still going to produce something wonderful. Now, th this is a, a pretty tough statement here. He says you can't be saved. So they're saying the blood of Jesus was not enough. 
The cross of Jesus was not sufficient. The finished work of Christ at Calvary was not enough to produce your salvation. You must be circumcised. The problem with that, trying to produce that in the New Testament, in the Old and under the Old Covenant, only men could be circumcised. So you just about keep the women out if you're going to do that in the New Testament. And Paul told us in Romans chapter 2 that circumcision now is not something physical in the male's flesh or in the baby's flesh. He says it's something that takes place in the heart. Once you become a Christian, the Holy Ghost, he comes in and he does something spiritual to your heart. And that's where that's where circumcision occurs. So we don't ever want to put ourselves in a position where something physical becomes the means or the basis of our salvation. I'll give you some more illustrations. Let's suppose someone said to you, you have fallen out of favor with the preachers, and now the preachers are going to withhold from you communion. And if you don't get to have communion, then you're not going to be able to enjoy salvation. That would be untrue, because your salvation is not tied to bread and wafers or wine and crackers, your salvation is tied to the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's very important to know. Let's suppose someone said to you, well, now that the, now that the baby is born, you have to get the baby baptized immediately because if the baby is not baptized with water, the baby may not make it to heaven. You do not tie someone's salvation to water. Salvation is tied to the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And once you allow someone to hold your salvation hostage like that, they can control you. Because your eternal, your eternal condition is important to you. And as long as it's important to you, then, then pretty soon you'll be trying to maneuver and do all these different things in order to try to get yourself in, in the good graces with people. Don't misunderstand me. If, if folks want to dedicate babies, that's fine. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get into any fisticuffs with people if they, if they still wanna baptize infants. All I'm saying is salvation is connected to what he did at Calvary. That's where we have to be at. And, and if we don't, then we, we run into the rules of religion. Now, I, I've talked a little bit about what, what you may have or may be familiar with. Let, let me talk to you about some things you may not be familiar with. In the in, in in old line denominational churches in the South, <clears throat> very often they tie a person's salvation to what they should do and should not do. So there was a time where even out here in certain churches, if you were going to be a member of the church, you had to sign a card that says you wouldn't own a television. You know what what they would call a television. So full of evil, see, that, that kind of a thing. And, and God knows you weren't supposed to have a deck of cards. So you pitch players, you're lost. See, I like to play pitch, so that's enough. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, there was a lot of that. And, and this whole, this, this, this attitude, one time I had to preach in Beatrice at a church, and I'll never forget the, uh, I, I was, I actually preached a two week meeting in, in, um, in Plymouth, a little small town. And, and I was in somebody's living room and people were coming from a lot of different directions and the, the living room was full. And so a pastor out of Beatrice came and that evening, 
listening to me preach, it started turning the wheels in his mind. And he started thinking about some things. And he was one of these guys that wouldn't allow his wife to cut her hair. And she had beautiful, long, flowing hair. But he was under the impression that First Corinthians says a woman's hair is her glory. So if she cuts her hair, she's diminishing the glory of God. And so she, the, 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 the wife had it all tied up in a bun and, and they were pastors, but he listened to me for two weeks ministering the word of God and God set him free from a lot of those traditions because he came from a church background where you was not, you were not allowed to visit another church unless the bishop said you could go to the church. Think about that. Our fellowship is based on the blood of Jesus. It's not based upon anything else. It's based upon what Christ has done on the cross. So once a person starts moving away from the grace of Christ, then the rules begin to be perpetuated and they grow. I preached a revival one time as a young man, and and I was on an Indian reservation, walked in there, and those good folks were listening to me until I said I need to take off my jacket. I said, hope you don't mind. I'll take my jacket off. Little warm in there. They didn't have central air or anything like that. And, and unfortunately for me that night, I had on a short sleeve shirt like this rather than a long sleeve shirt. So I noticed the people stopped listening to me, just kind of ignored me. I thought these folks are rude. <laughs> well, afterwards, I asked somebody, I said, what happened? They said, well, well, brother Daryl, you, you, you took your jacket off, you had short sleeve shirts on, and, and you, you were bearing the arm of the flesh in the sanctuary. That's what they told me. See? Now think about that. And if, if that's true, then you, you've got to think about my arms showing a whole lot of flesh, but, but there has to be something wrong in that church if there'd be people sitting out there lusting after my elbows. <laughs> you understand? See? Well, once you move away from the grace of Christ, then the rules, they multiply more and more. So in chapter 15 of the book of Acts, in verse 2, Paul and Barnabas were arguing with these people and there was a great dispute. So they decided to go all the way to Jerusalem in Acts 15, verse 2. So in verse 3, they, they made their way down there. And in verse 5, once they're at the church... A certain group of the Pharisees that believed, they said it's necessary to be circumcised. So here were people that were believers. They were saying they love Jesus. They accept Jesus as the Messiah. But in Acts 15, verse five, they're also saying we've got to keep Moses law. So we got to mingle it together. And that's that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. They thought if they held on to the Mosaic law. That would be better for people. There's 613 Mosaic laws. Starting in Genesis. 600 laws going right out of Malachi. The first one being be fruitful and multiply. If I said to you of those 613, what is the 573rd law? Would you be able to tell me? Probably not. If I said, what's the 139th law? You wouldn't be able to tell me. Neither. I couldn't tell you either. But these individuals believed that you need to keep every single one of them. And that was the problem with the Old Testament law. There were so many of them, nobody would even know that they were breaking them anyhow because they didn't know how many they are. I guarantee you don't even know how many how many city statutes they have here on the books here in Hebron. 
you might be surprised to learn what's still on the books here. So we, we return to the text. So verse six, the apostles and elders got together. Verse seven, Peter stood up and began to tell them essentially, you know how God used me to preach the gospel to these folks. And on the day of Pentecost, something wonderful happened and, and people were receiving good things amongst the Gentiles. He's referring to Acts chapter 10. And then verse verse 10, he says, why are you trying to put this yoke upon them that our fathers and ancestors couldn't bear? So why try to get us to live according to how they lived in the past when they couldn't keep it? That's why Jesus came in the first place, because they couldn't keep the law. And this is where the grace of Christ is so important. When the thief died on the cross, he never was baptized before he died. But Jesus said, this day you're going to be with me in paradise. The grace of Christ. When when we think about people who are having all kinds of issues and passing through difficulties, we ought to praise the Lord every day that that the standard of perfection is according to Christ's perfection. Because all of us have flaws and defects and issues and problems. But we're still obliged by the Lord to live according to his his standard and to aim high, even if we don't always hit the mark. I've said before, it's it's better to aim way up here and then just get half of it than to aim down here at nothing and receive it all. Yeah. So have standards that are high. It's kind of like talking to somebody and you say uh, to them, well, are you having a good, how's your day going? And they say something like, well, as good as can be expected. Well, the answer to that is, well, you're right, because your day is not going to be any better than your expectations. If you don't expect anything to be good from that day, it's not going to be good. So when, when you think about it, we, we can see the, the, the truth of this matter. So in the end, here's what happened. They had this little debate, and, and finally they wrote some letters and told them, take the letters back to the churches and tell them, in verse 20, to abstain from the pollutions of idols, from fornication, from things strangled, and from blood. So he said, rather than us going back under the old covenant, tell all of those folks out there that they don't, they should not be involved with things that entail idol worship. He says, stay away from fornication. So outside of the marital covenant, fornication is a sin. Within the marital covenant, with people with whom we're not married, it's a sin. He says here, stay away from things connected with blood. What does Leviticus say? The life of the flesh is in the blood. So we have to be careful about how we handle the very things that the Lord has said uh, for us to avoid. Now, I remember the, teaching this one time. Somebody came up to me afterwards and they said, well, pastor, don't you know that in, in our family and in our ethnic group, one of our delicacies is blood soup? I said, really? I said, well, verse 20 again. <laughs> Stay away from things strangled and from blood. Some traditions you have to cut off then, okay? You have to cut off. All right, let's go back to Galatians 1. So, so you can see the issues that come up. Once we move away from the grace of Christ, we, we inevitably move towards something that presents itself as another gospel because it pretends to do what only the blood and the cross can do. 
So here we are in verse verse seven again. Somebody that troubles you or perverts the gospel of Christ. The devil doesn't want to go so far as to just always have people deny the gospel, but he does want to see the gospel corrupted. He'll leave enough truth for people to believe that this is actually true, but he'll add all that other stuff in there. So what what are some examples in connection with that? Well, you, you'll find that if if Paul tells us that it's uh, black and white, somebody will say it's gray. You know, it can't really be that clear. Where where Paul teaches that the answer to life can be prayer, seeking God, praying, talking to Him. There'll be other people say you don't need to pray. The perversion of the gospel starts with simple things. The scripture says without faith it's impossible to please God. We need faith to become a Christian. But if you're not careful, you'll even go to the extreme with the way that you use faith. And pretty soon you'll start using faith for things that you can't even find in the scripture people are doing. Yeah, there's a lot of that. When, when you watch television sometimes... Or if you listen to radio, sometimes you hear people make statements that are not altogether true. When they're talking about how, how God or what God wants to do in the way he wants to advance his kingdom. And so I, I say all of that to tell you this. You don't need to go and call a 1-800 number so you can ha- so somebody can send you some blessed sand from Israel. Okay? You don't need that. You... You, you do not have to go out of your way to, to, uh, get you a prayer shawl that's come from Israel so that you can put it over your head and pray like a Jew at the wailing wall and go back and forth like this and believe that somehow you're going to get closer to God by doing that. You don't have to do that at all. Your relationship with God is not about cotton or wool or anything like that. You have a direct line to God from your heart when you talk to Him. Don't ever let anybody deceive you with that. So verse number eight, he says, if, if an angel from heaven preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. So he's, he's pronouncing something bad regarding the possibility of an angelic messenger coming and saying something that's contrary to truth. Now, we wouldn't have demons in Scripture if we didn't have fallen angels. Okay. Remember, if there's a God, there's a devil. If there's a heaven, there's hell. If there are angels, there are demons. So a, a, a fallen spirit, an evil spirit, comes to pervert truth and to mislead and to deceive people into thinking something is right that is actually wrong. I know a lot of stories like this. I knew of a man that was married to a woman, and then he fell in love with another woman while he was married, and so he started looking for ways to get out of that marriage. And then pretty soon he came up with, or it might have even happened in a dream, but he said he had a dream, and an angel came to him and told him, you can go ahead and divorce your wife and marry the other one because you were never really married to the first one anyhow. Imagine that. See? Now you know as well as I do, That's deception. But when a person has their heart set on doing something, sometimes the devil will help you. 
You see, if the devil, if he can't stop you from going somewhere, sometimes he'll get you close to the edge and he'll just push, shove you right on over the mountainside. It's exactly what he'll do in his deception. This is why Paul has to open up this door to help them to understand. Just because someone says an angel came to them, that does not make it true. Just because Mr. Joseph Smith said an angel by the name of Moroni came to him and told him about some special plates. And and this is going to be a new religion. And that between the resurrection and the ascension, Jesus came from Israel to the Americas and preached to the people that were here. That does not make it so. And we have to be able to acknowledge sometimes that the adversary is able to transform himself into an angel of light. That's what Paul said in Corinthians. So I have no doubt that there's a lot of deception. Most religions have supernatural origins. You ever thought about that? Most of your major religions on this earth, the founders of it, have all kinds of of beliefs regarding angels and stuff like that. So even if we went back to the the religions of of, of Greece and Rome, let's let's not forget you've got the original Titans, and then after the Titans, then you've got Zeus who conquered all the Titans, and then Zeus ended up having all of his little children because he had relations with uh, humans. And so the, the word we have in English as hero in ancient Greek, a hero was someone that was half God and half man. And that's why you got names like Mercury and Apollo and things like that. The Bible has a lot to say about angels from Genesis to Revelation. Revelation has more mention of angels than any other book in the Bible. So there are angels from beginning to end. When Mr. Muhammad was in a cave one day, he said that an angel by the name of Gabriel appeared to him. Ever heard that name before? Yeah, that's that's in the birth narrative of Jesus. So he says an angel by the name of Gabriel came to him and he supernaturally learned how to write because he said he had been illiterate. Now, there are more than a billion people who believe that Christians do not believe that. Although today in California of all places, you can find a pastor out there with a very large church who has helped popularize an entire teaching called Chrislam, which is a mixture of Christianity and Islam. So you take a few tenets from Islam, take a few tenets from Christianity, and then we just all blend them together. I'm telling you, that's another gospel because it perverts what Paul gives to us in a very clear and obvious way. So verse nine, as we said before, so I say now again, if any man preach. So in verse eight, he talked about an angel in verse nine. He's talking about people. So he's dealt with the supernatural factor. So now he's showing us in verse nine that a man or a woman can get off course and teach something that is untrue. Then that you receive, let him be accursed. There was a gentleman in Nairobi, Kenya, who was a bishop over some churches, and somehow he got it in his head that he was supposed to set 
a lot of people free from demon power. Believed he had power to do it. So he he had followers who believed what he said. And so they, they he took pictures of himself and then put them on little necklaces for his people. And he said to the people, if you ever feel like the devil is attacking you, just stare at the little picture and my the, the, the photo of me will drive the devil out. Deception. Deception. Absolutely. So verse nine talks about how an individual can preach and bring deception. Jesus said in Matthew 24 that if it's possible in the last days, even the elect will be deceived. Paul said in the last days there will be seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Doctrines of devils. Teachings that do not emanate with human beings, but emanate with spiritual powers and forces that are unseen to the natural eye. And it drives the beliefs of people who adhere to these beliefs. So it's not always a natural thing. If any man preach any other gospel unto you. So Paul was obviously aware there were other forms of good news. Okay, well, what, what other forms are there? You remember the story of David Koresh? Waco, Texas? Tragic. But here was a man who had convinced a lot of people that he was the Messiah. And in that compound where they all eventually were, were holed up, he, he had, he had, he had convinced them that the battle of Armageddon, even though the Bible says the battle of Armageddon will take place in the Middle East, he convinced them it's going to take place in Waco, Texas, when the government authorities come to get him. So they stayed in there. And eventually a fire broke out and a lot of people died, but there was a lot of gunshots and, and he died. But in the midst of his false doctrine and his messiahship, you know what he also did? And this is common with people who get involved with with uh, things that I, that I believe is absolutely evil and, and deceptive. They always begin to believe they can have more than one wife. And he began to prophesy inside that compound that one of his closest aides and best friends, wife, should become his. Think about that. Utter deception, folks. Other deception. But you can go to Waco, Texas today and they still have a church there and there's still people there that worship there and believe that this guy really was the one to be the Messiah. Now, I know a lot of stories like that from around the nation of, of, of groups who have put their trust and their faith in people and it turned out wrong. Don't, don't forget the guy down there. What was that? Guyana somewhere where they drank the Kool-Aid and all of that kind of a thing. Jim Jones. Right. Now, if you ever saw videos of Mr. Jones when he was younger and preached, you, you'd sit there and watch him and listen to him. And I'm telling you, he sounds like a gospel preacher. But then you pay attention to what he's saying. And then pretty soon you start hearing his socialism. And then pretty soon you start hearing his beliefs that we should all share and have everything in common. And then the, you dig a little bit further, then you realize that when you, when you say let's all share and have everything in common, that really means everybody at the bottom shares, but the people at the top end up with more and more. And you keep digging, then you realize it's fornication, any woman that he wanted, any young lady that he wanted, there's drug use, substance abuse in every direction. 
Because a person becomes deluded in their mind when they believe that they are fundamentally right when everything about Scripture says they're wrong. You have to keep your mind clean and pure in order to be able to recognize what's taking place in these last days. So verse verse uh, number nine here, that last sentence, he says, let them be accursed. The same thing that he said regarding the uh, the angel. Now, let's back up to Second Corinthians 11, just a couple of pages. You're just going to go backwards a few pages. Second Corinthians 11. OK, Second Corinthians 11. Look at verse three. I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. That is where the devil attacks your thinking. If he can change what you believe about something as simple as the gospel. I mean, he can just put a hook in your nose and take you in any direction that he wants. And think about how simple this is. To become a Christian, the only thing a person has to do is believe that Jesus died on the cross in their place, receive the penalty that they should have received for their own individual sins, and, and repenting of their sins, accept Christ as their Savior. Now, the Holy Ghost is involved in working inside somebody's heart and helping them to see the truth and open their eyes to who the Messiah is. A person can believe that in their entire past can be eradicated. In less time than it took me to explain that to you. That's the simplicity of it. But you'll still run into people that will say to you, it can't be that simple. And I've had people tell me that. I've ministered and then after the service had people sometimes down on their knees with me wanting to pray. And then we're talking about the king and talking about salvation. And they say, Pastor, it cannot be that easy. Because they've got it in their minds, they must do something. You know, it's like a little kid got to write on the uh, the blackboard at school because they made the teacher mad. And so they have to get up there and, and just say uh, a thousand times. I don't know why Tina doesn't come to church on Sunday. I don't know why Tina doesn't come to church on Sunday. See? So you get you get to the thousandth time. And then you feel like, OK, I've accomplished something now. Well, as a as a as a Christian, then the devil goes out of his way to try to make you feel like this is too simple. You cannot be easily forgiven. I think it was last week or one of the other weeks I was talking about forgiveness and unforgiveness and everything. And I, and I made mention of the fact that when God forgives you, you've got to forgive others. That's not a difficult process, but there are a whole lot of people. They enjoy holding on to grudges. They feel better when they're angry at somebody. And I mean, they just get tickled at being mad. And, and, and we have to be able to let those things go. And I gave you the illustration that you holding on to unforgiveness and then hoping something bad happens to me and I'm hoping something bad happens to you. That's like me drinking poison and then expecting you to die. That's what that is. But when we come back over here in verse number three of Second Corinthians 11, it speaks of the simplicity that is in Christ. You can forgive quickly when you want to. Sometimes people aren't always ready, but they can. Verse four, 
If he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, you might well bear with him. So you have three things here. We have another Jesus, we have another spirit, and we have another gospel. Now there's the chain. If someone is preaching a different Jesus and has a, a wild and weird conception of Christ, then quite, quite naturally when they witness about that Jesus, that's the other gospel. And the spirit, that the, the, the devil, he comes along and with another spirit, he helps try to confirm that gospel so that people will believe it. Think about it this way. If you have a conversation with someone and they say this, and I get this a lot. Well, my God isn't like that. See, that, that, that thing. Or they'll say this. Well, God is a God of love. It's true. But there are many attributes, characteristics of God that are mentioned in the Bible. He's holy. He's just. He's faithful. He's jealous and so on and so forth. But if you take one attribute like love and you overemphasize that to the point that you believe that the love aspect of God is greater than all the other characteristics of God, then you're going to end up with the belief that says there's no way on this earth that my God could make a place called hell. And I'm going to have to agree with you, because if that's how you conceive God, then of course there's no way. But God does not hold any of his attributes in more or less measure than all of them simultaneously. They're all the same with him. He's holy. He's just. He's love. He's all of that. And, and when we when we miss that, then we end up preaching a, a Jesus that doesn't resemble anything like what Paul, Peter, John, James and folks in the Bible believed. And this is why I say, if you listen to how the gospel is presented, you have an idea of the kind of Jesus they conceive. Case in point, Robert Schuller. Your hour of power. He had a lot of good inspirational people on his program. And, and there were a lot of people who watched his program and, and, and more than likely were turned on to trying to get to know God or something like it that in a difficult time. However, I heard him on an interview one time and he said, I don't like to mention the word sin or talk about the cross because it has negative connotations. See? Well, my thinking is, well, if you think God meant that as a compliment in the Bible, you ought to read it again. OK, of course, it has negative connotation. The whole point is you can't get a man or woman saved until you first help them to see they're lost. Because if you just tell people that they are intrinsically good and born good, then they're like, well, I really am pretty, pretty nice. I mean, I'm not born in sin, shaped in iniquity. What's all this stuff about? I need to be redeemed. Redeemed from what? I'm good. See, and that's how people think. So that, that's one, one case in point. So when you, when you hear people talk like that, then you have an idea of the kind of God that they have conceived in their own mind. You know as well as I do, Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and he said, repent. 
You can't repent unless you acknowledge there's sin present. It's not about your self-esteem. Yourself should be crucified to the cross. It's not about your will. Your will has to be put down. Scripture says, reckon yourself to be dead to Christ. In the kingdom of God, the only thing that matters is, is his will and his desires. We've been bought with a price. We're not our own. We're, we're debtors to the Lord. He owns us lock, stock, and barrel. And, and like someone who's an indentured servant or a slave, he's the Lord. He's the master. He rules not through fear, but through love. We enjoy serving God because it's, it's a happy life. And Christians are the happiest people on the planet because we get to tell people all about the king. So if, you, if you've enjoyed the grace of Christ, why go in reverse? Think about that. Do you, do you really want to go back to the times when people preached? If you, if you had, if you have a social security number, you've taken the mark of the beast. Huh? Do, do, do you really, do you really want to return to believing that a, a lady, even if she works on a ranch, she ought not ever be allowed to wear a pair of pants because if you wear a pair of pants, you're wearing that which pertaineth to a man. And if you're wearing that which pertains to a man, you're out of the will of God. And if you're out of the will of God, you can't get in heaven. Oh, let's not go back to that. If, if we come into the grace of Christ, let's stay there. That's where the good news is. Amen. Isn't that a blessing? Wow. Thank the Lord men don't have to wear dresses. I tell you. Well, I, well, I guess I've, I've seen some photos out here of some babies where some of the some of the men have some cute little little dresses on. Well, if if you have a picture of you in a little dress and you're a guy, please show that to me. Please show that. Please. <laughs> Come on, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful tonight that we can look into the scripture. There is so much we can learn on a day to day basis. We're, we're humbled, oh God, by everything you have in this book. But we pray that you continue to cause us to grow in grace and in knowledge, O oh God. As we read the word, dissolve all doubts so that we'll trust you regardless of what we hear and what we see. These things we pray for in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Okay, any questions or comments?